Okay, last week I uh, gave you a sort of like way of testing sermons. Alright, um, so if I can have my slide up. Excellent. Alright, so does it tell us or make us think something about God or ourselves that you didn't know or wouldn't have thought about before hearing it and that leads you to new or further action to live and act more like Jesus. And I invited you to actually apply that test to my sermon. So, how did the sermon go last week? I'm still trying to figure out the dress. <laughs> any, 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 other, any other comments in terms of how the sermon went last week? There's a story about a preacher who kept preaching the the same sermon over and over again. When people started to complain, when was he going to start to preach a different sermon? He replied, when are you going to start doing what I've already preached about in my sermon? This is important because if your life didn't change at all from last week, then it was a bad sermon. Or maybe you guys weren't listening. Um, so, we are last, so last week, um, you know, so this is part two, the sequel as, as such to last week's um, sermon, where we talked about um, interpretation. Now, if you you know, sort of like missed last week's sermon, feel free to uh, listen to it on the podcast. Um, And, um, of course, you know, just letting you know, sequels generally aren't as good as the first one. So, we'll see how we go with this week. Um, Those of you who want handouts, um, I think uh, there's... Brent is happy to hand out. If you want to stick your hand up, he's going to give you a hand up for today. Um, There's also copies from last week's one as well, particularly those who missed out on the blind spot, uh, you know, trick thing there. Anyway, so last week, the topic was interpretation. All right. Anyone remember, particularly anyone under 21, who remembers the technical term for biblical interpretation? Exegesis. Well done. Oh, good catch. Good work. All right, so exegesis. Now, as it was Father's Day, I mentioned about, you know, getting you to think about how do you know what's really important to your father, your dad? You know? And how do we know that? Because I wanted you to think about how do we know what is important to God. Right? And so we know that what matters to God is what he keeps talking about in his Bible. Right? What he spends time on in that. Um, we talked about the fact that all humans have blind spots. Things you don't even know you're not seeing. Right? We know that we have filters, whether that's our family raising up, our culture, our experiences and other factors like that. Uh, We also know that we read the Bible with our own immature attitudes and experiences, our own biases, our own wants. And that applies to us as individuals, as a church, as a generation, as a human race. Um, We know that God helps us to understand the Bible through his Holy Spirit. But the Spirit can only tell us what we can cope with at that time. 
You know, just like we can never eat all that we need to sustain us for the rest of life in one sitting, we need to keep eating on and on and on. The Holy Spirit keep feeding us on only what we can cope with at that time. And I also showed you a movie trailer to demonstrate how context matters. That grabbing bits of a movie all over the place and putting them differently than how the writers, the creators intended it, can really change what it's about. And that's the same with the Bible. Every verse of the Bible, particularly where it is in relation to other verses, matters. And I also mentioned how culturally different we are from the Bible in that it's a different time, it's a different place, different culture. That means we won't easily understand what's going on, hence why I was wearing a dress last week for those who didn't catch up with that fact. Um, Because we are all foreigners in approaching the Bible. Not everything will mean what we think it means even if we know the meaning of the words and the language. Because we miss all those other things. And so that's why it's really important for you to read chunks of the Bible. That will help you understand what the Bible's about. The more bigger chunks you, you, know, you read of a Bible, the more bigger chunks of a movie you see, the more you actually understand what it's about. Yeah. And so I said, always be suspicious of sermons, Bible studies that just grab verses from all over the place, just single verses, without giving you the context. All right? Um, because the Bible has been used to justify all sorts of reasons, it's thick enough to just pull bits that you want out to support any view you have. And so that's why we're not about Jesus, we're about exegesis. All right? Context matters. Without context, we can con with text. All right? We can make it say whatever we want. And that's why for all these reasons, blind spots, filters, you know, context. The Bible does not consistently agree with me. I made you say it last time, I'm going to make you say it again. The Bible does not consistently agree with me. The Bible does not consistently agree with me. And one more time, the Bible does not consistently agree with me. Great, you guys are wonderful. Um, because it takes a lot of humility to admit that sometimes we're wrong. Right? Because often it's really hard for us to actually know we're wrong because often when we're wrong we feel it's so right. Until someone tells us and points it out to us. Yeah. And there's probably... I don't know, 45% of what I know is probably wrong. Yeah. But I just don't know which part of it is. I think it's right. Now, the Bible has been used to justify horrible attitudes and acts that were said that are inconsistent with God. And that's why, you know, we talked about the Crusades, we talked about all sorts of racism like apartheid, we talked about violence against women, particularly neglect of single mothers, you know, discrimination about those that judge not nice, unimportant, not quite right. 
And as Christians, we do have to apologise for what's committed in our name. Which comes us to this week. Uh, we are going to continue on with interpreting the Bible. All right? Which, of course, technical term was? Exegesis. Who said that first this time around? Right, somewhere over there? Oh, I'll throw, throw one at Megan. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nick, one and one? Okay. Nick. <laughs> oh, sorry. All right. Okay. So, we want to continue on what are, what are keys to do proper exegesis so we can fully and faithfully understand what God's words and God's intentions are for us. Now, as religions, we spend a lot of time talking about those inside the religion. Because right? God is usually happy you know, with those inside and not those outside. You know, and so often people worry about that people outside will drag those inside out. You know, and so because of that, we often build big, thick walls around our religious communities to ensure that that doesn't happen. You know, churches are kind of like freezers to keep those inside from spoiling before Jesus comes and takes us out of this world. All right, um, and so in that context, we have to remember the Bible is a members-only guide. Right? Only for those inside. Surely it's got advantages for people outside, but the focus is on changing those inside first. So, the key word for t- this week is trajectory. Alright, anyone want to give me a definition of trajectory? <laughs> Angle, okay. Direction, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Fun? A path, oh, in which something travels. Sorry, that's a pretty bad trajectory on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, certainly the Oxford Dictionary says the path followed by a projectile flying or an object moving under the action of given forces. Um, the one we'll use is the predictable path to describe, you know, a moving object is heading. Hence, if you didn't notice to catch that, all the flying objects that have been occurring already in this sermon. Trajectories can also describe not just moving objects, but stories, movies, and even our lives have trajectory. And even this passage here that we read out earlier, I keep asking God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may you may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So we're starting to hear all these words moving forward, going somewhere with that. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you to. That the riches of glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So again, there's all these ideas of moving forward with this area. Moving, every Bible passage also has a trajectory. Now, as a parent, I've also noticed, you know, that life, there's patterns. Right? There's, there's a sense that everybody wants to have a sense of achieving something. You know, I can do something well, even if it's just kicking their legs on the floor. Right? Zan loves that at the moment. Um, 
There's a sense we also want to be a reign, to be in control, to know how things are. You know, and of comfort, that I'm settled. You know, I'm rested. I'm, you know, I, I don't need to work hard to do anything else more. Does this also seem to represent a adult life as well? That we all kind of want a sense of knowing we're achieving, we're doing something, that we're reigning, we're in control, and that we're comfortable. Now, and sometimes that's why it's so appealing to have a God that promises us eternal kind of sense of these things and eternal comfort. However, physical growth interrupts this. And life in general also disrupts this. Often much to our annoyance. We don't like being shaken out of this. Zan does not enjoy feeling his teeth coming out. We are not who we are we should be yet. But this is a good thing because growth is about disrupting how we've always done things to get to the next stage of development. So we need to get out of comfort in order to move and reach a new higher stage. And so the Bible, like any other book, any other story, has a beginning, middle and end and all stories, as I said, have trajectories or what we call the story arc. And for us to truly understand God we and the Bible, we need to know the whole story, the whole trajectory of the Bible in sequence to see how God works amongst humanity and what God has planned for humans in general as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's a lot of stuff in between that. And then finally, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with with God's people. Amen. If you didn't know, I was starting from Genesis 1 here, going all the way to Revelation over here with that kind of statement there. And I wish we had time to cover this whole area in between because there's so much to it. Right? It's like watching a movie and going like, you know, if you read the book, you've, you've watched the movie and go, oh, they missed out so much stuff in between here. There's so many good things about there that they missed all those details. And so it is with the Bible. It's so important to read the Bible in sequence and know the whole story of the Bible. Right? And I can't cover all that in one or two sermons. Right? Now, there are many programs available to, that can't try to cover all these things. Right, um, there's one called The Bible, The Big Picture. I'm just giving a bit of plug. Um, because Scripture Union, the Bible Society have gone behind, you know, gone behind this to kind of encourage churches to go through the whole Bible. All right, and this is the workbook. It's, eight, it's an eight-week program with uh, all 16 weeks of sermons. All right, and it covers particularly the, the main turning points in the story. And because when we actually look at the Bible in context, go all the way through here, we see God is constantly pushing his people out of their comfort zones. Adam and Eve, out. Noah, out. 
Okay, you know, sort of like Abraham out. You know, sort of like Joshua, you know, sort of Moses, all those sort of people like that. And even God's people gets pushed out. And then Jesus and his disciples get pushed out of their, their comfort zone as well. All right? And it just keeps on going. God's people are to go into the world. We're constantly being pushed out. Now, it's not comfortable. Just like going to the gym is not comfortable. Because uh, it constantly makes you uncomfortable going to the gym. But we go there because there's a bigger story at stake here. There are bigger things that matters. Because the only way we grow is if we get uncomfortable. How do we be less focused, like less self-focused? By spending a long time with people that are not the same with us. And so growth involves disruption. But growth also builds on what came beforehand. And it can only come if you've built on what you've already you know, grown beforehand, what you've covered beforehand. And so this is kind of like how parenting gives us a model of how God views and treats us so-so. We talked, I asked the question, how do we know what's important to, to God? Um, the same way as parents, our kid picks up what is important to us by how much we talk about something or how much we don't talk about something. You know, most kids will interpret if you don't say anything, that's consent to do whatever you want with, you know, within, until you get told no because then you get hit with what's important. All right. So what you say and what you don't say matters. In theology, that's a really big thing as well. And we know what matters to God is what he keeps speaking about and telling us about. Um, so, there are 31,102 verses in the Bible. All right. uh, two, about 23,145 verses of those in the Old Testament. That leaves about 7,957 in the New Testament. All right. Um, so, the word go actually appears in 3,671 verses. So, that's pretty important. Jesus is also pretty important. So, he gets mentioned explicitly uh, 1,225 times. Certainly, there are lots of passages in the Old Testament that talk about a saviour to come, all those sort of things, you know, the Son of Man. And so, I haven't counted those in that, but that's just, just so you see, that's a lot of verses, that's pretty important to, to God. Right. Um, we know that murder, killing, bad thing. Makes people sad. You know, particularly those that get killed. Um, or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Anyway, um, so it's pretty important. So therefore, it has a pretty big, big chunk of the Bible. Uh, idolatry is a big sin. All right? And so again, like Jesus, it probably is mentioned in a few other verses than where those verses actually say idolatry. But, you know, 211, that's still quite a bit. Right? Um, heterosexual sexual sin can be you know, pretty devastating. And so because of that, right, you know, it, gets, it gets 96 verses mentioned about it. So let me ask you, how important do you think God thinks it is to look after those that can't help themselves? People like asylum seekers, refugees, the poor. Any guesses? 
How many verses? Alright. I've given you clearly those who have your hand up. It's at least 855. It's kind of like, I think it varies from, from the, the handout. I think I'd uh, miscalculated a few things. But this is, this is every verse that mentions mercy, compassion, alien, stranger, refuge, exiled. Alright? Uh, the poor, the needy, the widows, the orphans. This shows you how important this stuff is to God. Right? In fact, his instructions to his people was to set up cities to house these refugees, those fleeing for their lives. In contrast, uh, washing your hands, 12 verses, and uh, homosexual sin uh, gets six verses, two of which uh, is condemned in the same way that people who eat shellfish and crabs, prawns, that sort of stuff, the same words are used for that. Now, so if we claim to be his people, we should be reflecting his priorities. In what we talk about, in what we act about, in what we decide to take a public stand about, you know, protest our government against. Because remember, although the Bible benefits everyone, it's largely focused on those inside. It's a members only guide. And the main instruction is to go out and bless the people around you. Now, as part of our Bible study, um, we've been reading, meditating on how we can live faithfully out this verse. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, of us, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. This is pretty big for the 40 Days in the Word series. We're saying it's so big that we're making all you guys actually do a project about that. All right? Which is good, because it reflects the priorities of God. And we know that because Jesus, at his first public appearance, quoted the following Old Testament verses. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to claim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. If you look throughout history, most social justice movements actually had a lot of Christians behind them because they just saw it as part of God's justice. It was largely the non-Christians that gave it the tag of social justice so they could remind themselves they should be involved in this. The Bible doesn't talk about God's justice separate from God's good news. Our words, ideas and actions are all intertwined. They're all from the same trunk of the dream of the kingdom of God. Now, interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't talk about us, about us being realistic about any of these things, you know, about what we should be aiming for. The God's kingdom dream is not limited to our practical ideas but pushes us beyond. Christians throughout history have always announced dreams of unachievable things. They had the faith in their beliefs from God and then as they worked, they saw the evidence change to make God's dream more and more of a reality. And this is why the Bible does not consistently agree with me, but consistently creates more beauty. 
everything on the Bible builds on what comes before it. We see the trajectory of increasing positive change in succeeding generations of God's people. In the beginning, when God created man in his own image, you know, the image of man, he created him, man, male and female, he created them, it says in Genesis 1, 27. And he follows soon after with these verses, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for the image of God has God made him. And what that's really saying is, well, actually, I'll just demonstrate it. All right. Now, slavery began before the Bible was written. And remember, the Spirit says that only tells us what we can cope with at that time. And at that time in history, you know, people accepted slavery was just there. There were some people that didn't deserve to be considered on the same level, even considered human. Right? So we know slavery existed before that. But in the Old Testament, it starts talking about rules for fair treatment of slaves. It limits how they can be treated, how they can be freed and what working conditions they should have. Then Jesus comes along to lead, you know, and and says, to lead, one must first be like a slave. He starts actually putting the, the radical idea that maybe slaves are humans just like us. All right? And then in the New Testament, Paul builds on that further. And he starts telling, Masters, treat your slaves the same way as I've told them to treat you. All right? So we start seeing the trajectory from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all right, of God's working out of his ideals there. And because we know this is a trajectory, we know that in our time, things should be better. That Christians, because they've learned from this part and learned from this part, should be living in ways that are better than how they did back then. And so we see that in 1100 AD the Church of London condemned slavery like the trade in slaves. But it took Wilberforce William Wilberforce I meant um, until 1833 before he finally passes the law actually three months just before he died to actually stop trading in the British Empire. And we might think that's the end of the story. But in 2013, the Australian Parliament passed a crimes legislation amendment focusing on slavery, slavery slavery-like conditions and people trafficking. Again, they put more offences more repercussions for people who deal with slaves and forced labour and forced marriage and, and those sort of things and gave a broader things like that. And 
there were still campaigns going to improve these things further. There is no period of human history where God's dream has been fully realised yet. So we're not trying to get back to any good old days at all. Because those good old days weren't great for everyone. There's always been unequal power and privilege in every country in every time. And that matters to God. And so that's why we can imagine the trajectory of God's kingdom means that in the future it's going to be even better than we can imagine right now. And this is what it talks about. The Bible talks about God's kingdom being here and not yet. That more and more we will see and experience God's kingdom in our lives. That's why we pray in the Lord's prayer. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we keep on, we're not there yet. The Bible does not consistently agree with me. Does not consistently agree with any human. But consistently creates more beauty. There's always greater things to come with God. And the Bible has consistently brought about change, particularly for those that people in general judge as wrong. And we know there's still people suffering and neglected. We know there's still many people that are told they're wrong and they don't deserve to be how they see themselves. We know about all that persecution going on overseas and here. And there's huge you know, youth suicide rates. There's still you know, people feeling um, you know, sort of domestic violence. 62 Australian women have been killed this year because of domestic violence. You know, it's still the leading contributing death to women between 15 and 45 years old. All right. and, and we're still struggling, people with disabilities, you know, chronic illnesses, mental illnesses, all these are still struggling to be treated equally in this world. And, yeah, sometimes we are uncomfortable with these people because they're different and we have difficulty caring for them or even even thinking about them. That's fine. The Holy Spirit will only give you what you can cope with at this time. But it does say there's much more in store pushes us to create more beauty, to realise more of his kingdom on earth. So Christians today are called to express more fully what God has already started in the Bible and not just use those time-bound, culturally specific practices as the only way to live. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, so like 40 days we use space pets um, for other, you know, other ways of reading your Bible. You keep on asking the question, what else? Where else is there? Where else would God want to be? Where else, what other changes God wants to bring about? And if anyone asks what Jesus would do today, exactly what he did then and what we should be doing now give priority to the people that Jesus cared about, the unimportant, the not nice, the not quite right. A a Melbourne theologian uh, warns, if you want your kids to grow up in a safe middle class lifestyle, then keep Jesus away from them. 
Because Jesus says, go, hang out with the wrong crowd, leave a secure future of steady jobs, family responsibilities and respectability to live a life of persecution and possibly even death. God calls us to be uncomfortable because that's where we grow. God wants us to grow beyond our understanding. The Bible does not consistently agree with me but consistently creates more beauty. And we've we've talked about how you know, sincere Christians can go off track. And God's people did that throughout the Bible. We see that in the Old Testament. The prophets kept on telling them, hey, you're missing the point about what I'm about. And certainly Jesus fought those same battles as well in the New Testament against the Pharisees. And we can look at those Pharisees and go, oh, they got it all wrong. But no, those people, judged by their their, their world around them, They were the righteous ones. They were the moral ones. They were the ones that were champions of moral values and making sure people live right. And Jesus said, you've missed the point. Because, you know, and so I've given you some tips on your your handouts and or up here in terms of how to make sure you aren't doing the Bible wrong. So when you're interpreting the Bible... You're probably doing it wrong if your focus is on using verses out of context. We talked about that. You're probably doing the Bible wrong if you focus on how wrong people are outside the church. Because I think Jesus said something about planks and splinters about that. But that's... I'm not just using one verse there. I'm trying to hopefully help paint the picture that it's all the way through the Bible. You're probably doing it wrong if you're focusing on issues the Bible says very little about compared to those that it says a lot about. You're probably doing the Bible and Jesus wrong if you think Jesus was about disapproving people of anyone apart from those that claim to speak on his behalf. Because he never criticised anyone outside the God's people thing publicly. Certainly had a word to them in private after they connected with him. And certainly you're doing the Bible wrong if you only focus on achievable realistic solutions to following the ideals of God. You're doing the Bible wrong if you focus only on your efforts alone rather than recognising God is present and working among us. And you're doing the Bible wrong if you're focused on keeping things the same rather than new creative solutions because God keeps on pushing his people into new cultural situations to keep on changing how they express their faith. God is the same, yes, but how he expects his people to express it throughout his Bible continuously is always different. And I debate about whether I should put this last first. You're doing the Bible wrong 
if your focus is not on helping everyone to see themselves fundamentally, first of all, as being valued by God. And this week of all weeks, it's important to remember, I'm fine if you guys don't think about asylum seeker issues and that's your choice. Certainly something I never really thought about much before, you know, in the past. But the life of Jesus was one when he was very young. He was an asylum seeker, fleeing from the threat of his life and had to travel to another country to seek refuge. And so... I just thought it's important, biblically, that the asylum seeker idea is one that runs throughout the Bible as well. And that's important to God, to a people who constantly were on the run for their lives. So hopefully, I've done God justice today by making you feel all uncomfortable. make you uncomfortable enough to grow more, to feel like you want to join with God to create more beauty. Because the interpretation of the Bible, we need to keep in mind all these factors of how, you know, what we read, how we observe it, how we reflect on it, how we meditate on it, how it all meant to the people of those times and what it might now mean for us. To, to see it in the big picture of the Bible. Yeah. And then to look at ourselves and what do we need to change about us first. To be more like God. To be more reflective of his priorities and just bring about more beauty in this world.